Welcome to Series 2 of the Saltwater Strategists, the podcast that delves into the complex world of maritime security in the Indo-Pacific region. I'm your host, Jen Parker. As the world becomes increasingly dependent on maritime trade, it's critical that we understand the challenges and opportunities in this competitive environment. Our well-respected guests, strategists, academics, international relations and maritime professionals from across the region provide insightful and considered discussion on the most pressing maritime issues in the Indo-Pacific. The Saltwater Strategist is a product of the Australian Naval Institute, a non-profit self-supporting organisation that encourages the promotion and advancement of knowledge related to the maritime profession. This episode of the Saltwater Strategist is also proudly brought to you by the Australian Missile Corporation and Consberg Defence Australia. In this special series of the Saltwater Strategist, we are bringing you three lectures from the recent Goldrick Seminar held in Canberra on the 19th of October. An annual Australian Naval Institute seminar in honour of the late Rear Admiral James Goldrick, one of the most prominent maritime strategists and maritime historians Australia has produced. In episode three of this special series, we will hear from Rear Admiral Matt Buckley, Royal Australian Navy. Matt is currently the head of a nuclear submarine capability within the newly established Australian Submarine Agency and has extensive experience in submarine capability and operations. The topic of today's episode, delivered at the Goldrick Seminar on the 19th of October in Canberra, is the AUKUS Nuclear Powered Submarine Task Force. The future of the task force, the journey to Australia acquiring a nuclear powered conventional submarine and the future of that capability within the Royal Australian Navy. Thanks to Vice Admiral Peter Jones for the opportunity to talk to this well-informed audience about our nuclear-powered submarine program. And so that it's clearly on the record, the capability that Australia will require is conventionally armed nuclear-powered submarines, which is a bit of a mouthful, so I'm just going to call them SSNs. Given we're amongst friends and practitioners, I hope that you'll indulge me with that. In my capacity as the head of nuclear submarine capability, I'm accountable both to the Director General of the Australian Submarine Agency, Vice Admiral Mead, which is all about delivering the program, and to the Chief of Navy, Vice Admiral Hammond, who's all about managing the the submarine capability as it is, and of course, operating that capability. Uh, As such, I think I'm reasonably well placed to discuss the advantages that SSNs will provide Australia and how we will seek to achieve this national endeavour. I do, of course, need to meet the A&I brief and discuss in some measure the cost and pathway for such a program. However, given the objectives of this institute and importantly respecting the tremendous work of uh, the late Admiral James Goldrick, who was indefatigable in educating our nation on sea power and the capabilities to bring it to life, I feel it appropriate to take the opportunity to reinforce why it is that our government has decided to undertake this endeavour and why our partners, the United States and the United Kingdom, have agreed to share with us this powerful technology and, importantly, the stewardship regime required to appropriately manage this capability through its long life. Firstly, the case for SSNs. The answer, put simply, is a matter of our immutable geography. Set in the context of modern technology, the Chief of Navy has just talked about Uh, in some detail our enduring maritime context and specifically the need for Australia to be able to preserve as a matter of economic survival the integrity of our vital and extensive sea lines of communication. 
The SSN will not only play a critical part in the preservation of these arteries, but is uniquely placed in many respects to persistently deter or deny an adversary from choking these arteries off, especially those more distant from our island continent. The SSN is a truly remarkable capability. There is nothing in existence or planning that can supplant its role as a highly potent, enduring and survivable maritime capability. The characteristics of the SSN introduces ambiguity for our adversaries and allows a Navy of modest size to cast out to safeguard our prosperity. This is critical for an island continent in a vast region utterly reliant on trade and communications via the sea. So what of our maritime geography? Characterised by vast oceans on three sides and extensive archipelagic waters to our north. For our Navy, this translates to a need for capabilities with considerable range. I talk about getting there and endurance, remaining there and being useful. For all Australian mariners, the debate strangely always needs to be made to our public. Perhaps it is because of things like modern aviation, where you can be in DC or London in a day, but for the mariner, the journey even from Perth to Sydney, even in the fastest vessels, takes four to five days. For us diesel boat practitioners, it's certainly much longer. Our main arteries of trade are, of course, far more extensive even than these long domestic lines. Given that the arterial to the Middle East from Fremantle, greater than 6,000 nautical miles. From either of the southwest or southeast corners of our country, where great volumes of our outbound and inbound trade flows, to Northeast Asia is around 5,000 nautical miles. And from Sydney to the continental United States, greater again than 6,000 miles. All of these great arteries require many weeks of transit and sufficient fuel just to get there, not to mention remaining there and being useful. As previously outlined for our Navy, it isn't enough just to get there and back. Again, I want to make point of range. But also, we need to be able to remain there in locations as needed and to complete the mission effectively, endurance. And the footnote I'll make about endurance is it's just not about having enough fuel and vittles, it's about making sure that you've got a crew that can competently perform the task in a platform that can sustain them in a way that they're on the game. The nature of these arteries is such that a disruption at any point along the route stops the flow. This is why from a maritime perspective, the argument for many small and shorter range submarines that can only cover our near abroad just simply does not stack up. Why would any adversary extend their own lines of communication and expose their ships or submarines to greater risk when you could pinch off the blood supply far from our shores? This is not to say Australia should not invest in strong defences in our north. Of the several of the capabilities outlined in the DSR, especially given the extensive damage that can be inflicted by a willing adversary with long-range fires. Rather, I suggest that these alone will not ensure our economic lifeblood is preserved. You may ask, why is it that long-range conventional submarines have met Australia's needs to date, and importantly, will continue to do so in the near to medium term? The answer is in two parts. The first relates to range and endurance, and the second to operational and technical context. Our Oberon-class submarines were very long-range vessels indeed, courtesy of converted ballast tanks that could store significant amounts of fuel, combined with an efficient means of transiting surface. 
I personally recall doing very long deployments as a junior officer and fueling only once or twice in six months, despite being very far from home indeed, and for sea most of the time. In the operational and technical settings of the mid-20th century, a boat that could transit on the roof with good emissions hygiene could transit much of the long distance from Australia to an area of operations without risk of detection and then spend its time slowly lurking where it needed to be, being useful. By the 1990s, technology meant surface transits and quite limited dive manoeuvring characteristics were no longer desirable. And we transitioned to what remains in Collins, the only truly long-range SSK that conducts all transits submerged and has increased submerged endurance and manoeuvrability, more so than most other conventional submarines. Without revealing any operational details, as an example of Collins' legs, I recall as an XO diving off Rodnest Island and then some weeks later surfacing blinking in the Sea of Japan. I'm not aware to this day of any other SSKs that can reliably achieve this. Collins still serves Australia's needs very effectively. But just as technology reduced the operational effectiveness of the Oberon capability by the turn of last century, at some stage in the next few decades, the requirement to snort will increasingly reduce the capability effectiveness and flexibility of conventional submarines for Australia's circumstances. So with all of this in mind, why is it that SSNs stack up for Australia? The strategic case is the calculus it induces in the minds of potential adversaries. The fact that an SSN with considerable firepower can be anywhere in the Indo-Pacific, unlocated for months on end, provides government with considerable strategic options. At the operational level, it plays out a bit like this. Firstly, our requirements for range and endurance have not changed. And the nature of our geopolitical environment requires us to be able to operate across the span of the Indo-Pacific to the full extent of the sea lanes that Australia must be able to protect and those I talked about earlier. Range and endurance remain necessary features that into the future only an SSN will be able to reliably deliver. Furthermore, given the significant shifts in technology and the capacity of potential adversaries, we need to also consider stealth, speed and firepower in increasing measure. Stealth has always been a central pillar for a submarine to survive and to achieve mission success. The game changer is that above and below water detection capabilities will make snorting to recharge batteries increasingly challenging. While things like AIP can help to resolve this challenge to a limited extent for endurance, it actually detracts from capability where range is concerned, given the trade-offs needed with diesel capacity and the fuel that you'd need to compromise on to get you there and back. Speed is increasingly important because the scale and scope of maritime capabilities in the region have expanded exponentially, and CN talked a little bit about this before in his presentation. An adversary now is likely to have very fast warships in numbers and may also employ its own SSNs, aircraft and other capabilities to find, fix and engage a submarine. The need for speed to either position to advantage for an attack or to evade for extended periods has become a more pressing requirement for mission success and survivability. Finally, when it comes to firepower, the ability to deliver a strong deterrent effect utterly relies on credible firepower through high-end payloads and delivered with precise targeting and insufficient numbers. An SSN through both undersea and above water payloads offers these capabilities with an appropriate weight in the maritime setting 
and with the necessary precision to both deter and deny an adversary. Accepting now for the purposes of the argument that I've reinforced the case for Australian SSNs, let me now briefly turn to the cost of ownership, both in terms of acquisition and sustainment for such a capability. As advised by government, the cost of an SSN for a program is approximately 0.15% of GDP. This includes the cost of acquisition and sustainment, which our government has determined is a sum commensurate with a, the substantial strategic capability and the industrial endeavour of national significance. The acquisition cost for SSNs includes not only the sophisticated and complex combat systems and platform systems, but also a propulsion system fueled for the life of the submarine. Australia will be one of only three countries in the world to operate this specific naval nuclear propulsion technology. All of this being said, however, this program is an evolution for our Navy. We are building on the foundations of decades of long-range submarine operations and delivering the effect via submarines, in this case with a different propulsion plant. So what of the program itself? As outlined in March by the three AUKUS leaders, the SSN capability will be achieved for Australia through three phases, running concurrently but delivering in sequence as soon as possible in a measured and deliberate fashion. For our Navy, this evolution from a conventional to a nuclear submarine force is already underway. Phase one, which builds capacity by leveraging the experience of our partners, ultimately through submarine rotational forces in Western Australia, is already delivering. We have officers and sailors at various stages of training in the US and, nuclear, US and UK nuclear power pipelines. We've already deployed advanced verification industry teams of Navy, APS and industry partners to UK and US sustainment yards. And we have the first US and UK Navy personnel embedded here in Australia in support of our program. Some of you would have seen the reporting that our Chief of Navy there with, also with um, Admiral Caldwell, Director of Naval Reactors, was at the graduation just a few months ago of our first officers. Those guys are now on prototype training, so essentially in the, the live simulator or the real reactor that's moored, but operating for those purposes. And next year, they'll be operating in submarines operating in the Indo-Pacific Undercom subpack. So it's happening, we're there. The series of increased visits of US and UK submarines to Stirling has commenced as has detailed planning for Australians to undertake work on SSNs alongside in Stirling and in US and UK maintenance facilities. We're also advancing the design work to finalise the upgrades to facilities at Stirling while leveraging existing works at the base to support US and UK SSNs and their crews. The extensive work required for Australia to acquire sovereign Virginia-class submarines in the early 2030s, pending congressional approval, is underway building heavily on the work from phase one. These will be a potent capability for Australia, crewed and supported by the personnel currently undergoing training in the US. Think about it this way, the first command teams for our Virginias are those people undertaking training right now. Phase three work on our joint endeavour to build SSN AUKUS is similarly progressing apace, with design for our ship construction yard at Osborne well underway and the first Australians embedded in the UK Submarine Delivery Agency as part of the Joint Submarine Design Team. Everywhere across the endeavour, we are driving progress across all lines of effort, including in our technical base, where we have Australian engineers and scientists working with counterparts in the US and UK Naval Nuclear Propulsion Programs. 
along with students in all three partner countries undertaking nuclear engineering and science programs and at universities here in Australia. There is, of course, the need with naval nuclear propulsion to meet our stewardship obligations for safety, security and safeguards, underpinned by rigorous standards applied across all aspects of the mission and support system. Through a robust technical base and assured by a strong system of regulation, all for the life of the reactor, from cradle to grave. These rigorous standards for naval nuclear propulsion will need to be applied in the context of an extensive existing system of whole of submarine safety and assurance delivered through our subsafe program and the overarching system of seaworthiness. As we undertake our journey of evolution from conventional to nuclear propelled submarines, the need to resource the endeavour to achieve these necessarily exacting standards is a fundamental part of the cost of ownership. To provide some assurance to this audience, introducing this capability does not mean building everything separately and from first principles. Indeed, our SSNs will be an integral part of our submarine force. There is one submarine force. Our Navy, there is one Navy. And the Joint Force, we will all be a part of the Joint Force. Where possible, we must build upon and leverage existing defence enterprise systems. The new part for Australia is the lift required to build, operate, sustain and appropriately steward submarines with a naval nuclear propulsion plant. This is a considerable but achievable undertaking, provided we continue to leverage the experience and expertise of our AUKUS partners, take a whole of government approach and fundamentally consider this challenge as a national endeavour. There are many aspects of this complex program that I have only briefly mentioned or not covered at all, given the constraints of time. I have, I think, focused on the aspects that I consider of greatest import to a naval audience interested in maritime strategy. What I trust I've been able to achieve in the finest traditions of this seminar is to reinforce precisely how and why our SSN capability is critical to our national defence endeavour and how we seek to deliver and ensure the capability. Finally, I want to reinforce to everyone here that we are already underway on this voyage, on this evolution. We must now think as a nuclear propelled Navy and all that it entails as we chart our course through this challenging and contested century. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, reviewing and following Saltwater Strategist wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about the Australian Naval Institute on our website, navalinstitute.com.au or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or sign up to our weekly newsletter via our website. If you're interested in general maritime affairs, why not consider joining the Australian Naval Institute to get special access to timely content and events relating to maritime affairs. A big thank you to our Goldrick Seminar sponsors, the Australian Missile Corporation and Consberg Defence Australia, who supported Vital to bring you these timely and important discussions on maritime security and our annual Goldrick Seminar. I'm Jen Parker. Thanks for listening.